Several years ago, I had the opportunity with a small group of us to go travel to one of our missionaries in Europe. Uh, and this missionary couple that was there, they live in Europe, but predominantly they serve an Arabic-speaking world. So uh, they use digital strategies to evangelize and to disciple. And so what they're doing is uh, they're using satellite uh, television programs. They're using the internet through a different uh, mixed media. They're, uh, originally, they were doing radio programs. So all kinds of things to, to minister into the Arabic-speaking world where in a lot of these countries, they're closed. They're not able to go and access the gospel when people live there. And so, uh, in fact, the country that the ministry came out of was closed in the 1950s. They kicked all of the missionaries out in the 1950s. And what happened is that missionaries started an organization just across the Mediterranean uh, in Europe and were able to plant there so they could continue to minister into the Arabic world. So several years ago, we were traveling to visit these missionaries in the country that they live in. And uh, basically, as the plane landed, they got word that the weather was going to change and it was going to be almost impossible for us to get to where we needed to go unless we left basically immediately. And so what we did is when we landed in Europe, we started to go and travel into a, a, about a two and a half hour car drive down to the coast. And from the coast, we got into a ferry. And this is the kind of ferry that uh, you would take across the Mediterranean into North Africa. And in this ferry, it's, it's a big ferry. I think of a big boat that you drive your car onto and you kind of go up and you can sit and, and it's about an hour and a half boat ride across the sea. And so uh, we would uh, pack everything up in the car. And as we were getting things ready to leave for this ferry, I realized that one of the missionaries was in the back of the car, really carefully adjusting all of the luggage. I mean, there was like backpacks and carry-ons and the kind of stuff you would just like, you know, chuck into the back of the car and hop on the ferry and get going. But he was being really intentional about putting this one bag here and this bag there and really arranging everything, not just so that it was like neat, but that he was being really intentional about what he was trying to do. And I kind of just looked at him like he was kind of being silly. Uh, and he gave me this look. This is like, look, I'll never forget, just the glint in his eye. And he said, it's trying to hide my contraband. And he just kind of laughed and went on and got in the car. Uh, and we drove onto the ferry. And like I said, it takes about an hour and a half to get across into this country. And so then we're in North Africa. We, we finally get to the hotel. It's, it's early or late, depending on who you are, you know, two or three o'clock in the morning. And we're just like crashed. The next morning when we wake up, we go to breakfast and uh, eventually we meet with this group of pastors in this country. There's a group of pastors that they had uh, every reason not to be known as pastors. It was illegal for them to evangelize or to share their faith with others in this country. And so what they were doing is, is trying to get together for encouragement and support uh, from these missionaries. While we were sitting there, I realized that they were just talking not only about like the types of typical things that pastors talk about, the complaints about this congregant, or, I'm just kidding, um, no, they're talking about the things that they're dealing with, the types of families and, and struggles that they're going through, the things that they're praying for. But I also realized they're just talking about jobs that they have. And one of them's working for like the cable company because they can't do this for a living. This is just what they're trying to do to express the calling that God has given them. And as we left that, the place where we met, then I finally saw that backpack again in the back of the car. And, and what they did is they pulled out this bag, and there's just a grocery bag full of these MP3 players. It's like an iPod or an iPhone, but small. And on those MP3 players was a recording of one of the Gospels. It really was contraband. See, the people in that country, they weren't allowed to have access to specific types of things like the Bible or a church. And so they had to do all of this underground. And so what these missionaries did is they were able to sneak these recordings of the gospel into so that people could listen to them without as much fear of persecution or being arrested. 
We are a people with a purpose. There's a lot of talk about what is the meaning of our lives? Why are we here? What are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? Do you want to set the mission uh, for the direction, the vision for where you want to be? And what we learn in this passage today is that we are a people with a purpose. See, those missionaries knew that they had a purpose. It didn't matter if it was illegal. It didn't matter if they, they weren't allowed to do certain things in order, but they, they needed to share the gospel. They needed other people to know who Jesus is. And they were willing to risk that. They were willing to risk being in prison. They were willing to risk loss of things. They were willing to risk suffering. They were willing to risk their livelihoods. They were willing to risk all kinds of things because people needed to know Jesus. And they were also willing to, to think of new ways and invent new strategies in order to tell others about Jesus. So even in a country that had kicked out all the missionaries decades ago, that had tried to close down any church for locals, that had tried to do everything they could to eliminate the gospel, they were able to take small MP3 players, the gospel recorded on them, so they could take them back into that country. We are a people with a purpose. In this series, Love Moves, we've been focusing on the mission statement of our church. And in a lot of ways, we've brought two churches together, but we're a brand new church. And so we have to revisit who we are as a church. And in this series, we focused on loving Jesus, right? The idea that out of the love that Jesus has showed us, our hearts have been transformed and stirred to love him in return. Last week, Tim talked about living like Jesus, the example that he set in his life and ministry and his teaching, trying to obey that and, and live that out among one another and in our city and in our world. And today we wrap this up with this idea, lead others to Jesus, right? That's our mission. Love Jesus, live like Jesus, lead others to Jesus. We have been stirred because love moves. It's the love of Jesus that moves in us and out of us. But the example that those missionaries set for me that day is that others need to know this. Others need to experience this. But it's not just the example that they set. Right? This is the great commission. This is the, the final command that Jesus gives to his disciples. Every single one of us sitting here today is sitting here because someone had the boldness for generation after generation to tell someone else about Jesus. Every single one of you is sitting here today because someone was willing to invite you or to tell you to come. Because people need to hear it. And so if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew 28. You can follow along as I start in verse 16. These are the final verses of his gospel. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now this is the end of Matthew's gospel. Gospel simply means good news. So what, what that is, is a retelling of Jesus' life from one person's perspective. Right? Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He had the experience of following him and seeing what he did and hearing what he taught and, and watching as he lived. And so Matthew's writing these things down so that others might know that as well. And what we know at the, by the time that we get to this point is that, that Matthew and the other disciples were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. 
Right? By the end, of, the end of his life, Jesus had convinced his followers that he was the Messiah. The Messiah, maybe you're more familiar with the word Christ as it is in Greek. That he is the anointed one. That he is God's savior. That he is the one that, that God would send in the Old Testament prophecies. God would send this anointed one to come and to reign in his kingdom to bring hope and peace and salvation to the earth, to recognize that this earth is pretty messed up, right? That everything around us, that the suffering, the pain, the, the anguish, the experiences that we see on the news today or on whatever they watched last or in the previous centuries, right? They would hear about these things, that there needed to be something to change that. And the Messiah was the one that was gonna bring that transformation. The Messiah was the one that was gonna bring heaven to earth. And Jesus hits the scene with confidence, right? He, he sets his tone when he begins his ministry with boldness and he begins to teach in a way that has authority. So when his disciples are listening and when others are listening, he doesn't just speak like a man. He doesn't even speak like a prophet. He speaks like one who has the power of the scriptures behind his words. He teaches with this authority. And he doesn't just teach with authority. He begins to garner crowds, right? People want to hear what he has to say. They want to, to witness who this man is that people are talking about. He, he begins to go from town to town in these, these small Jewish towns where he's proclaiming the good news that he has, the kingdom of heaven to come. The kingdom of God is here. He's starting to preach these things with authority and these crowds are beginning to gather and the disciples are starting to follow him. And not only that, but he starts to perform miracles. The blind see, the deaf hear, the hungry are fed. Jesus begins to have an impact in the community and in the culture surrounding them. And the disciples are following him for three years. They're listening to him. They're praying with him. They're, they're watching him. They're learning from him. And he do, does all of these things. They are convinced that this is the Messiah. And then Jesus is arrested and beaten and crucified and dies. That's not supposed to happen. That doesn't sound like a conquering king. That sounds like a defeated zealot. And this is where we meet the disciples at the end of this passage trying to figure out what happened, trying to understand who Jesus was, trying to grapple with everything that they heard and everything that they saw and everything that they believed and his death and his defeat. But he didn't stay dead. He's, a, he's the first person in history to overcome death. And, and that's what we celebrate on Easter, right? The resurrection, the idea that Jesus not only died, but was able to come back to life, overcoming his own death. Right? That's, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what the disciples are just starting to grapple with when they see him here on the, on the Mount of, in Galilee. Right? They're beginning to understand there's something is special about Jesus, but even more than they probably could have imagined. Right? More than just being a Messiah who would be a king who would reign in this kingdom in Israel. More than just being a Messiah who would bring prosperity and peace. More than just being a Messiah who could lead a military uh, battle and, and into victory, more than just being a Messiah who they would hope for, that they would bring prosperity to their country, a Messiah who would bring salvation, a Messiah who could bring hope, a Messiah who could bring life even in the face of death, 
A Messiah who had power more than his, his kingdom on this land, on this earth. That's the good news of Jesus, right? That Jesus was willing to look at all the messed up things in this world, to see all of the sin, right? That's what we call it as church people. We, we call it sin. What sin just is, is that, that there is this temptation in our lives to rebel against God and seek after our own self-centered, self-righteous, self-seeking satisfaction. That if God created all things and created them good, that we said, mm, I think I can do it better and go our own way. That's what sin really is. And the result of that is pain and suffering and anguish for, for people around us, for the world around us. And we see war and we see adultery and we see broken marriages and we see uh, orphans and we see hunger and we see all of these things as a result of that and more. And God sees that and he looks upon it and he didn't want it to remain that way. See, God is good and he's righteous and he is the creator of all, which means he's the judge of all. But he didn't look upon that and just say, I'm going to bring judgment upon this earth. He didn't say, I'm just going to erase it and start over. He looked upon us and saw mercy and love. So his son was willing to step into the mess to be with us. And that's what Jesus did, right? He stepped into the mess and he taught with authority. And he performed miracles and he gathered crowds, but he did so so that people might see the kingdom of God. And as he began to do that, people started to rebel against it, to push back. And that's exactly what the plan was. That as he began to show people the nature of who God was, the mercy of God, the love of God, the perfection of God, the righteousness of God, people would also hate him. And he was willing to suffer for that. Because he took upon himself the punishment that we deserve ultimately the death that we deserve. And so in his resurrection, we have hope because he didn't get defeated by that death, though we would. Jesus gives us hope because he is able to overcome that death. And in this moment, the disciples are beginning to recognize that. They're beginning to see that. They're beginning to see that Jesus has overcome death. And now that there is a new charge for their lives, and they're wrestling with what does that look like? See, the disciples are just starting to understand this. It even says it right there. Some doubted. Who is, is this Jesus? I mean, this isn't like a story that we're just telling. It's not a fairy tale. This is a reality that they've experienced and lived. And so what they're wrestling with is, I saw this man arrested. I saw him beaten. I heard of his death. I saw the tomb. And now it's empty. And now before me, I hear the voice I know so well. I see the scars on his hands. Is it real? And Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He's trying to comfort them. Right? I mean, you can imagine being in their place. They just watched this person that they, that they trusted, that they loved, that they followed, that he was going to lead them into victory, get defeated. And, but he is now standing before them again. And all authority has been given to him. He's about to charge them to go and tell everybody about him. The same person that was arrested, the same person that suffered, wouldn't they be afraid of their own suffering? Wouldn't they be afraid of their own arrest? Wouldn't they be afraid of their own loss? 
He's about to charge them to go into that. And so he says, all authority has been given to me. He's trying to give them confidence in who he is. He's trying to give them confidence in what he's done. He's trying to show them that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior. And so what are they supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Look back at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, there is an imperative in that sentence is to make disciples. Go and tell others to follow me. Go and and teach others to live like I taught you to live. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Disciples are followers, right? They're, They're the people who would listen to his teaching. They're the people that would try to understand the scriptures the way that he understood them. They're the people that wanted to apply that in their lives and live that out. They're the people that that wanted to know exactly the way that he believed and believe the same things. And now he's telling them to go and make more disciples. Go and tell others about the things that you have heard, and not just the people around you, not just your neighbors. Go and tell tell others. Recognizing that in this time, religions were very tied to their ethnic background, and so he's talking to primarily Jews, right? His disciples have have been raised Jews, people who who had the Old Testament scriptures as their scriptures, as as their Bible. They they believed in Yahweh, the Lord, the one true God, but they were insular, right? They were focused on that being the group that believed in that God because other people around them from other nations, they would have believed in other gods. And maybe sure there were some that would come and and, and be interested in hearing more about their God, but, but they weren't to go to them. And now Jesus is tearing down that wall, tearing down that separation and saying, go to every single person that will listen to every nation, to to create this culminating gathering of God's people from every background and nation, from every tribe and tongue, go and tell them to follow me. That's why we have global missions. That's why we had missionaries that we were supporting that I went to visit and encourage and to hear about what they were doing. That's why we have short-term missions in our church so that we can have trips like our youth are going on this summer to go and serve others and tell them about Jesus because these walls have to come down. Some of you know Larissa Strong. Larissa Strawn has been at this church for years. I've known her for more than a decade. And from before I ever met her, she has been dedicated and committed to serving in these types of ways. Right? The, the, probably the first time I ever met her, she was talking about the experiences that she had in Russia and ways that she was able to serve on teams there and her hopes for the future. And while she was in school, she was doing this and she was going to study this and go and serve in these places. Larissa Strawn right now is preparing to go and move to the UK for a year because she's going to support a church plant there. So she's in the, you can be praying for her. She's in the process of getting ready for that. Uh, she's in the process of fundraising for that, which is a, a huge prayer request always for, for people getting ready to serve in this way. But this is a member of our church who has heard the call and said, I want to make disciples at a post-Christian culture in the UK where people have, have not only experienced a lot of church hurt, but just experienced a lot of pain and suffering as a result of things throughout history. And so she's going to go and tell people about Jesus. Because while it's dark and cold, they need hope. They need light. And so Jesus has, fire, Jesus has a fire that, that Larissa is going to go and help to, to stoke. Right? That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. The kind of stuff that when we begin to believe and understand who Jesus is and, and we begin to experience the things that he's done in our lives, we want others to experience that as well. 
We want others to know him, others to, to experience his hope, to experience this, this salvation, to experience his life. That's what it means to lead others to Jesus. But that's not the only way. It doesn't mean that you have to hop on a plane and go somewhere else because what this verse is really clear about is that the action is not go. That's not the command. The command is to make disciples. The command is to tell others about Jesus. The command is to get them to follow him. The command is not go. In fact, go may be a little bit of a weird translation because it, the type of speech that it is in Greek is similar to baptizing and teaching. In other words, what Jesus is really saying is as you're going, wherever you are, make disciples. Make disciples by teaching them. Make disciples by baptizing them. Eugene Peterson uh, rewrote these verses, putting it this way. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. We make disciples wherever we are. We are a people with a purpose. That purpose has been fueled by the fire that the Holy Spirit lit in our hearts by giving us transformation, change. And as we are changed, we want to see others experience that change. And so we are people with a purpose to lead others to Jesus. And we do that wherever we are, in the UK, in North Africa, in Phoenix. We do that by, by baptizing and teaching people to obey the teachings of Jesus. Right? Baptism is this symbol. It's the symbol that the church uses from, from the beginning to mark someone has, has put their faith in Christ. It's a public declaration. It's a public celebration, celebration that when they go into the water, they're marking themselves, dying to themselves. When they come back up, they're raising with Jesus. It's, it's this anointing almost that they are putting their faith in him and they want to make that public and they want other people to know it and they want the church to see it. And then teaching teaching them to obey the commandments of Jesus, teaching them to obey the things that he taught. That's what we have in the scriptures, right? We have in the New Testament, first in the four gospels, the story and the life of Jesus and the teachings that he spoke, the lessons, the parables, the examples that he gave and what it looked like to live a life dedicated to God. And then in the rest of the letters we have written to the churches, the interpretation of those things. Right? The theology and the things that we believe about God, the, the practical things, the way that we should structure and order our church, the way that community looks, the way that we live our lives because of what we believe about Jesus and the church. And as we begin to understand those things, we begin to see that God is working through one another to teach us those things. It's impacting the way that we live our lives. That's why we have the Life in Community class. Right? It, that's why we have that class because it's a way for us to begin building relationships with one another because we remind one another of the gospel. We encourage one another in our faith. We are called to continue to teach each other over and over, right? Because discipleship isn't a program. It's not something that just happens in, a, in an instant. It's a process that happens over the course of our lives. We begin to apply the things that we understand. We begin to, to see and be shaped and changed as we have different experiences in our, our lives and understand how God works in that. Right? I didn't know what it meant to be a father until I had a child. And now I look to other godly men to understand what it means to be a godly father. As our lives change, the gospel has new insight and new impact. The teachings of Jesus that we follow have, have new ways for us to follow them as we grow. 
as we transform, as we get older. The reality of death might be different when we are sick than when we are healthy. So we need a community around us to continue to point us to Jesus, to continue to shape us and help us to follow him, to encourage us in our despair, to give us joy and celebration to, to, just to be together. Right? That's why we have this class that's coming up. It's starting tomorrow, so if you haven't registered, I encourage you to register it, but, but it's about community. It's about discipleship. It's about leading others to Jesus. Right? Church isn't a conference 52 times a year. It's a gathering of God's people. It's a community built on supporting one another and teaching one another and pointing one another to follow him. We need that intimacy to do that. And then the last thing in, uh, in verse 20, and I'll close with this. Jesus says, and behold, that is, look, don't miss this. I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? He starts with all authority has been given to me. And he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's trying to encourage his disciples who are surely unsure about what they're going to do next. Right? We read in other accounts that they're fearful and gathered in, in hiding places trying to figure out what their next steps are. And what we see here is that Jesus is telling them to go and tell others about me. And don't be afraid because I am with you. And I am with you to the end of the age. That, that's really a key term, that, that word age. He doesn't say I'm with you for the next few days. He doesn't say I'm with you for the next few years. He doesn't say I'm going to help lay this foundation and then it's going to be you on your own. He says, I'm with you to the end of the age. And that word age is, is this really long period of time without a real clear indication of the beginning or the end. And so when Jesus says, I am with you to the end of the age, he is with us as long as we have this mission. Generation after generation after generation after generation, he is with us as his disciples just as much as he was with his disciples in the presence and standing before them on this mountain. He's with us. He wants us to, to lead others to him. He wants us to follow him and he wants us to help others follow him. And he is going to be with us in that process. He doesn't leave us alone. He hasn't forsaken us or forgotten us. He sees us and he knows us and he loves us and he is with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are in his presence. When we gather together today and we sing songs to God, we're not just singing to the ceiling. God is with us. He is the God that came into earth, who took on flesh, who wanted to be with us, to give us salvation, to give us hope, so that in the eternity to come, we will be with him. That's the point. That's the purpose. And we want others to experience that life. And that experience starts now in community. That experience starts now in church. That experience starts now with faith in following Jesus. And so we lead others to him because we believe that, because we've been stirred by that. We, uh, we have been celebrating over the last few weeks, Bethany Bible Church and Phoenix Bible Church coming together as one church. And that has been a process over the last 12 months. Like if you're brand new and you've been here for like two or three weeks, you're going to think we're just talking about this all the time, but it's really new for us. And it's a huge moment in our church because now that we've come together as one church, we're starting to live out everything that we said we were going to, right? We are, we are called to live out the things that we felt uh, that God was leading us to if we were going to do this. 
But above everything else, the reason that we did this was for kingdom impact. Right? It wasn't about a building. It wasn't about a name. It wasn't about uh, my like, ability to talk in front of more people. To be quite frank, if you know me, this is not my dream. It was about kingdom impact. We have a desire for people in our city to know Jesus. We have a desire for the people in our city to hear the good news and the life transformation that comes by understanding who Jesus is. We have a hope that if we have an, uh, an opportunity, we will be able to work and, and, and uh, impact the lives of our coworkers and our neighbors and our classmates and our friends. And if we are so committed to that, then this has to be a way to do that. And so we desire to come together as one church so that we can have a kingdom impact in our city. That is our prayer, right? My prayer isn't to see pews filled. My prayer is to see a city changed by the impact of that God is doing through us and through the other churches that we partner with, right? It's not about Phoenix Bible Church or, or Scottsdale Bible Church. It's about Jesus. It's about what we're trying to do in his kingdom, that is why we've done this. And that is why we're going to continue to do this, even though it's hard and confusing and frustrating and it's amazing and miraculous that God has brought us here. Yes. Because we will have an impact in this city. God wants us to lead others to him. He has invited us into the work that he is doing. Are you going to respond and step in? There's a really easy way for you to do that today. Uh, Shane mentioned it. Madeline did a better job talking about it than I ever will. Like, there's a team fair out there. What team can you serve on? You can serve in kids and youth and serve our next generation. You can serve on our prayer team, praying for people during our services, praying for the services themselves. You can serve uh, in our facilities and help be good stewards of the resources that God has given us. There's a variety of ways that you could serve. But every single one of them has the, the purpose and the impact to lead others to Jesus. And if that's your first step, then today's the day to take that step. And so today, before we go to that ministry fair, uh, we're going to take communion together. And communion is an opportunity for us to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. It's an opportunity for us to reflect on his body and blood that was shed for us. It's an opportunity as a community to remember that the sacrifice Jesus made has reconciled us to God and bound us together in a community of God's people, in this church. And so when we take communion together, we're reflecting on that. We're remembering that together as one body. And so the ushers and the band are going to start coming forward, and, and I'll pray. And so if you're a believer, the plates are going to get passed, and you want to take the elements and just hold on to them, and we'll take them together in just a few moments. If you're not a believer, this is an opportunity for you to reflect on the things that we've talked about and, and, and read this morning to decide, is this something that you want to be a part of? Is this a hope that you can believe in? Is this something that, that you can trust? You can just let the plate pass and, and stop listening to me and start focusing on what God's telling you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to gather together to, the, uh, to worship you, Lord, to study your word. Father, we do just pray that you would, you would stir in our hearts and in our minds. God, as we've come together to be a church of your people in this city, God, we pray for the impact that you might have through us in the lives of others, bringing hope, bringing peace, bringing reconciliation, and, and, and bringing joy, Father, in the love that Jesus has shown for us, to us. Help us to show that love to others, God. 
As we prepare for communion, we pray that it would be a reflection of, of our remembrance of his sacrifice, God, a reflection of, of what we deserved and the hope that we have for overcoming that. God, we pray that you would be in our hearts and stirring through our, our body and binding us together in this as well, Father, reminding us that we have become one family, the blood of Jesus. Amen.